0: suffering glory 1st Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 Hear the word of the Lord Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to bring these requests. I found this article that was written by a lady by the name of Katie Baker in 2013. And she writes this, quote, I was deemed hopelessly unathletic by a jury of elementary school schoolers when I was six years old, before I ever had a chance to learn how to kick or dribble, or catch, because I was the tiniest girl in my class. I'll never forget how it felt to be picked last by my peers during P.E., day after day, year after year, the heat rising off the asphalt in my cheeks, as I waited in line until I was inevitably left standing alone, again, staring wistfully at my classroom and wishing I was inside reading a book. I don't know about maybe your generation, but probably everybody in my generation can relate to this experience. I remember the PE classes. I remember the kickball and the and the dodgeball and uh, picking and and uh, I always want you know. I never got picked last, but it was always you know as long as you didn't get picked last, you didn't care. You know, just just as long as I'm not the last person standing there, and they say, "Oh yeah, come on," uh, or hey, or or this is this is the worst one when they say something like this. Oh, listen, just go ahead and go on the other team. We don't care. You know that, that's, that's the worst one. But she wrote this article, and I think we can relate to it. The title of the article is this, Being the Last One Picked in Gym Class Really Messes You Up. Uh, that was the title of the article. And, and as I thought about it, as I was reading this and thinking about our text today, th- there is something about being chosen that gives human beings confidence. When you know that you're chosen, when you when you got cho, w- w- whether you were the first one chosen, somewhere in the middle, or somewhere in the in the latter half, as long as you got chosen, somehow it gave you the confidence, it gave you a sense of identity and a, and a sense of confidence that you know uh, they want me as a part of the team. They they want me here to be a part of the team. And, and as we look at our text today, while and and the people that Peter are Peter is writing to, these. Uh, original recipients. They were foreigners, we found out last week. They're foreigners in their culture. They are scattered throughout the land of, of Asia Minor. They are alienated and separated. Uh, the Roman government has scattered them and and and, and, the, and the connections that they had while they were in Rome, uh, many of them no longer exist. Uh, but yet with respect to God, they were chosen. They were chosen. And Peter writes to embolden And encourage them to live out their identity in a culture that rejects them. How how do we as believers in 2020 live out our identity in a culture that rejects us? Uh, Do we assimilate so that we can be liked? Do we separate and, and, and wag our finger? Uh, What do we do? Where do we get the confidence that we need to be able to engage the culture without assimilating into it or without uh, sensing that we are superior to it? How do we do that? And Peter is writing to them in these first two verses and laying out for them not only their vertical identity, but also their horizontal identity. And in the Greek text, the word translated elect or chosen, some translations will have elect, some will have chosen. The ESV has the word elect. It's the word eclatois eclatois And when you look at it in the Greek sentence, the word that follows eclatois is the word uh, 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 parapodemos, pa, para parapodemos. And, and and so you have eclatois parapodemos. So you say, okay, Greg, why are we spending time here? What, what, what is what is the, the factoid here? Why is it worthy of our time? And, and, and this is why it's worthy. If Eclatos, if the word translated elect is functioning as an adjective, if if it's functioning adjectivally, then it is modifying the word exiles. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It is modifying the word foreigners, uh, or uh, which is uh, translated foreigners someplace. Translated in the ESV is exiles. It is is calling them elect exiles. Meaning this, that these believers had been chosen by God to be exiles. Uh, And and there's a comfort in that. There's some truth in that. But that these believers had been chosen to be exiles, to be foreigners in the land in which they lived. However, if eklitos is functioning substantively, which simply means this, it's functioning as a noun. It's functioning as a noun. And if it's functioning as a noun, and the word uh, 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 parapodemos is, is functioning as a noun, and then these words are in apposition to one another, which simply means this. That Then you would translate it this way. The chosen who are foreigners. In other words, chosen is, chosen is not modifying the word foreigners Chosen is explaining and unpacking another aspect of who these foreigners are. They are the foreigners. They are the foreigners of the diaspora. They are the exiles of of, of the dispersion. But they are also the chosen ones who happen to be foreigners of the diaspora or exiles of the the dispersion. Well, you see that in the next translation of the Bible when they translate it this way, to those temporarily residing, and then they've got the other past, uh, other translation there, to those temporarily residing who are chosen. And so basically you have here, and I think that's, this is the best way to understand this passage of Scripture, that the word equitois is not a, a serving as an adjective to modify the word foreigners, but it is, it's a noun, as well as the other one as a noun. And, and it certainly is grammatically, that can be the case. And in doing so, they're in apposition to one another. And so one is explaining the other. These are the chosen, these are the chosen who are foreigners. So if this is the case, if what I'm saying is the case, then this would highlight both their vertical and their horizontal identity as followers of Jesus Christ. Vertically, we're foreigners. Vertically, we're foreigners. Horizontally, we're chosen. We're chosen. And if this understanding is correct, then the three there's three prepositional phrases in verse 2. And these three prepositional phrases basically uh, uh, explain the reason, the means, and the purpose or the goal of the triune God's choosing. You see that, look at verse 2, according to, and then it says in, or we're going to look at it as the, it's the word en uh, in Greek, uh, that word can mean in, with, by, among, it's got, it's one of those words, that uh, prepositional words that can have five or six different meanings depending upon the context of it. And so, in, as the ESV is translated, is certainly one way of looking at this, but it can also be translated by. And, that, and that's how we're going to look at it today. I think by is the better understanding. And then it has the word for. So, according to the foreknowledge of God, by the sanctification of the Spirit, for uh, obedience and sprinkling with His blood. So, you've gotten the reason You've got the, the uh, you you you've got the the, uh, the, uh, the the means, and you've got the purpose or the goal of God's choosing. These prepositional phrases provide the foundation of every not only their hope, but every believer's hope. These prepositional uh, these prepositional phrases form the foundation of every believer's encouragement on how to live on this earth as foreigners of the diaspora. How do we live? Where do we draw our encouragement and hope from as we seek to live out our faith in a world and a culture that is more and more becoming hostile towards us as believers? Well, this first prepositional phrase references God the Father. And you notice, you've got all three persons of the Trinity involved in this. You have God the Father, you have the Spirit... You have the Son Jesus Christ. So all three persons of the Trinity are involved in your life. All three, if you're a child of God, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in my life. You have a, a triadic, uh, a situ, uh, this, this matter of, 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 of being chosen has the sense of uh, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in this. So the first prepositional phrase references God the Father, and it states the reason of their choosing. They were chosen, look at the text here, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Let me just give you the reason. I, I, and then I, Let me give you where I'm headed to in this point, and then we'll come back and build it. The reason they were chosen is because the Father's choice of them was consistent with His plan and purpose. The reason they were chosen was because it was consistent with the Father's plan and and purpose now the word here is prog- prognosin prognosin we get our word prognosis from it but the word that is used here is prognosin and it's a noun and this noun form of the word prognosin only occurs twice in the New Testament only twice you find this word prognosin in the New Testament once is in our text in First Peter, The other is in Acts chapter 2. We're going to put it on the screen. If you want to turn there, that's fine. But we're going to read it because it's important for us to see it. It helps us to understand what is meant by foreknowledge. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 23. Well, let's start at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. This is Peter's preaching here. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man att- attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You look at him and you know this was this was uh, th- this person was attested to by God. This Jesus, and here's delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The cross was no accident. The cross was planned long before this world was ever created according to the foreknowledge and the definite plan of God, but that did not release the people that put Him on the cross. It did not release them from their responsibility. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Of lawless men. That's the only two times you find this word. Peter uses it both times. says it once, writes it the second time. Foreknowledge is more than simple observation or prior knowledge. It's more than that. In other words, it's not saying here that God said, you know what, if I send my son, they're going to they're put him on a cross. But you know what, I guess I'll go ahead and send him. The idea of foreknowledge, it certainly includes that, that God knows prior to, God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. God knows what's going to happen in your life 10 years from now. He already knows that. But it's more than that. The word expresses divine initiative for the fulfillment of His expressed purposes. Foreknowledge is not just that God could, that God can see down the road of what's going to happen, or that God sees all possibilities. Foreknowledge has the idea because it's, uni- it's, it's, it's connected with the determined plan. Foreknowledge carries the idea of divine initiative. For the fulfillment of his expressed purposes. So when, 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 when Peter writes to them and says that, that he, here you are in Asia Minor, you've been rooted up from your home, you've been scattered to a land that you're not familiar with and a culture that you're not familiar with, all simply because you are believers, your church has been, been blown apart. You've got people here, you've got people here, you've got people here, you've got people that are far away that you may never see again. You are having you you are viewed as a as a uh, you're viewed as a foreigner. You're viewed with suspicion, but who you also are is someone that has been chosen by God. God has taken divine initiative so that you can be part of His plan and purpose. So, what does this mean? What does this mean for them, and what does it mean for you and I? Well, the first thing is this is that God's divine initiative has operated in their lives even before they were aware of it. God's divine initiative has been operating in your life even before you were aware of it. That's how much God's involved in our lives. As God's children, that's how much He's involved in our lives. Even when we are not aware. Even before the foundation of the world. God's Initiative was operating in our lives. In our lives. That's comforting. That's comforting to know that. And, and whether or not you hold to individual election or individual predestination, whether or not you hold to that or not, that, that's not what we're seeking to, to prove, that's not where we're seeking to go. Whether or not you hold to that, the fact of what foreknowledge means and what's going on here is... It, Regardless of what you hold, what you think about predestination, these truths are these truths are, are, are for our encouragement. They're for our encouragement. God's divine initiative has operated in your life even when you were not aware of it. Secondly, the God who took this initiative is also intimately involved in your life as your Father. Notice again what He says in the text: "According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father." Father God is taking this divine initiative and he's alt- and this also carries the idea of the word foreknowledge he is intimately involved in our lives, intimately involved in our lives. God takes interest now God, God goes beyond taking interest in your life. God gets involved. When the bottom's dropping out, God is there. You may not think He's there. You may not sense that He's there. But God's there. And God's at work. And God is doing something. Because as a child of God, He's my Father. He's my Father. And He is intimately involved in my life. But it also means that their individual lives... Have significance, being part of the plan and purposes of God. Think about that. God wants you, and God chose you, and God took the initiative towards you, so that you would be a part of His plan and purposes. That's a whole lot better than getting picked for kickball or or for 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 uh, dodgeball. God chose you because there's a place for you to fit in the plan and purpose of God, which the ultimate plan and purpose of God is so that God gets glory. So that God gets glory. That God has chosen you and God has taken the initiative towards you that even through your failures, even through your shortcomings, through your victories, through the good times as well as the bad, that God's Glory can be seen to those around them. To those around them. And finally, because of all these things, God claims supreme authority over over their lives, over our lives. Because, Because God has taken the initiative and because God is intimately involved, God has supreme authority in our lives. He has supreme authority in our lives. So here are these people who are troubled by their circumstances, they are alienated by their culture, they are foreigners in the land where they resided. Yet Peter wants to remind them, yet all of that and that's all true. That's all true. Trouble is a part of their life. Difficulty is a part of their life. Alienation from by others is a part of their life. That is all true. They are living in a culture that rejects them. Just like the scripture says that Jesus came to His own and His own received Him not. All of that is true. But what is also true is the fact that they have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. God was and God is at work on their behalf. And that's something that we need to take super glue and put it right in the forefront of our thinking and brain. Because there's times we doubt it. There's times it doesn't seem to be so. There's times when it seems like God has abandoned us. But regardless of what is taking place in our lives, regardless what is happening in our culture, regardless what is taking place in the halls of government, God is at work. For my behalf. Period. Period. And that behalf is to transform me and to change me into the image of His Son. It doesn't mean that things will be easy. It doesn't mean that things are not going to be difficult. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to find myself in situations that I don't quite understand or I don't think may be fair to me. But what it does mean is that whatever is happening, God is at work on my behalf to change me into the image of His Son because I have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. The foreknowledge of God. That's the reason. The reason for our choosing is because the Father's choice is consistent with His plan and purpose. It's consistent with His plan and purpose. But how does He accomplish it? What's the means? And the means there is found in verse 2. In hagiasmo ha, pneumatos. In hagiasmo pneumatos. Now, why in the world am I using the Greek phrase rather than the English translation? Because there are two major ways of understanding this prepositional phrase. The ESV translated this way, in the sanctification of the Spirit. And that's that's a proper way of... Uh, there, there's nothing wrong with translating it that way. The Net Bible translates it this way. By being set apart by the Spirit. By being set apart by the Spirit. Hagiasmo is the idea of being, uh, 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 of being set apart. It, it comes from the word uh, uh, hagias, where we get our word holiness from. Which holy, To be holy means to be set apart. So you have this sense in being set apart. Pneumatos is the Spirit being set apart by the Spirit. The first, the ESV translation, implies this, that we have been chosen to live our lives in the realm of the sanctifying Spirit. Is that true? Yes, it is. We as believers are to live our lives in the realm of the Spirit. We are to be, remember, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be evidenced in our lives. So, yes, that is true in the sense that that we have been chosen to live our lives in the realm of the sanctifying Spirit. But is that what this text is teaching? You can find this truth being taught in other texts. But is that what this text is teaching? And and, and I think the the second understanding is the better understanding. The second conveys the, the, the means... Or uh, the agency, the, the, the meaning of the, the, the agency or the means of how God has chosen us according to his foreknowledge. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the means by which God makes his electing foreknowledge operative in the lives of those who come to faith in Christ. God has chosen us according to his foreknowledge. The way that this happens. The, the way that it becomes true in our lives is by the sanctifying or the setting apart or the consec, uh, consecration of the work of the Spirit. The work done by God the Spirit is that of, the second word there, hagiasmo. That's the work. That's the work. Pneumatos identifies hagiosmo is, is, the, is, is, the, is the actual work. And there's two components here. It has the idea of consecration, in other words, being set apart by the Spirit for God's special purposes. God consecrate, God sets something aside. Again, when you when we read the word that God is holy, again it comes from that the the, the root of that word there. That when, when and and, and we, we we are we fail to fully understand what the Scriptures is saying when we say yes God is holy, and all we think about is that God has no sin. Is that an idea? Is that a concept of holiness? Yes. To be holy means I'm sinless. To be holy means that sin has, has nothing to do with me. But that is not, that, that, that's, that's not the full understanding of that word. Not only does holiness mean that, that I am without sin, holiness also has the idea of being set apart. In other words, God is not like anything or anybody we know. There's nothing we can compare God to and get a full understanding of God. That's why in the Ten Commandments it says, You're not, you should, Thou shalt not make any, uh, any graven image of me. There's nothing, there's no image that we can make that can fully reveal to us who God is. Except Jesus Christ. Jesus says, when you've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's no image. Is God like mountains? He sure is, but God is more than mountains. He's more than mountains. Is God like the wind? Yes, he is, but he's more than the wind. Is God like fire? Yes, he is, he's more than the fire. God is more There's there's nothing that we can can do, there's nothing that we can make, there's no kind of concept that we can come up with that can fully give the full Meaning and understanding standing and awesomeness and beauty and grandeur of God. He's holy. He's separate from us. He's not like us. So the idea of consecration, being set apart by the Spirit for God's special purposes. In other words, believers are taken from the realm of the profane or the common and placed into the sphere of the holy. Remember when we were studying the book of Leviticus... And we looked at things that were holy, unholy, and common. Or holy and profane and common. That something could be common and yet not be unholy. Uh, And and you had to make sure to approach God, that you approached God in a holy way. Something that was set apart for God. Something that was uniquely set apart for Him. And the same way here, this idea when he calls them that, that how God chooses us according to his foreknowledge, but what's the means by which he does it? He, the means by which he does it is to consecrate us by the Spirit. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second. But it also has the idea of sanctification. Hagiosmo is also used in the New Testament to describe the sanctification of heart and life. In other words, by the Spirit... Believers experience the transformation of character away from conformity to this world. That's the other idea. The idea is of consecration being set apart uniquely for God and His purposes, but also sanctification that by the same Spirit we experience transformation of character as we're no longer conformed to this world, but we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, in other words, we sum it up this way. God the Father, to fulfill His divine purposes, takes the initiative to draw people into an intimate, loving, and redemptive relationship by God the Spirit who sets them apart and transforms their character. Man, that'll get you shouting if you take the time to think about it and meditate on it. God the Father, to fulfill His divine purposes, takes the initiative to draw me, you, to draw me into an intimate, loving, and redemptive relationship through or by God the Spirit who sets me apart... Transforms my character. They're strangers. They're aliens. They're rejected. They're they're separated. That's who they are. That's the vertical relationship they have with their culture. But they also have a horizontal relationship, and that relationship is the fact that the. The Father to fulfill His purpose and His plan has drawn them, has taken the initiative to draw them into this intimate, loving, and redemptive relationship by God the Spirit, who sets them apart, who consecrates them, that we might be a vessel fit for the Master's use. He consecrates us, He sets us apart for His plan and His purposes and also transforms and changes our character. Our character. Why? Why? What's the goal? What's the purpose? What is it that God is seeking to accomplish? It's found in the last prepositional phrase there in verse 2. Excuse me. ESV translates it this way. For obedience to Jesus Christ... And for sprinkling with his blood. Or another way to look at it, if you wanted to kind of give it a more literal, obedience and sprinkling in the blood of Jesus Christ. Obedience and sprinkling. Why? Why? For this reason. For this reason. For obedience and sprinkling in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you thought the first two prepositional phrases were, you know, where we kind of scratch our heads and say, man, what exactly is going on in these things? This one is the most grammatically difficult of all three. So, let's chuck it, okay? (laughs) Not not the phrase, Let's let's, let's not worry about what's going on here grammatically. You say, well, why can we do that? Who's Peter writing to? He's writing to Jewish believers. And in Peter, in trying to get across his point as to why God has done this, why God has done this, Peter is, is, the phraseology that Peter is using is alluding to something that would be very, 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 very familiar with them as believers who are coming from a Jewish heritage. And it's found in the Hebrew Scriptures. Keep your place there in 1 Peter and turn to Exodus 24. Because you're going to see some things happen that there's, there's no way these guys didn't think about this. No way. Exodus chapter 24, look at verse 1. And by the way, what's happening in this is God has revealed the requirements of His covenant, That he, what He expects from them, what they can expect from God. In chapter 24, God's covenant relationship with His people is being ratified. His covenant relationship with His people is being ratified. They're at at Mount Sinai. Moses has received the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 1. Then he, that's the Lord, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seven of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, But the other shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars. We will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it, some translations have, sprinkled it. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these things. Obedience and blood of the covenant. 1 Peter 1, 2 for obedience to Jesus Christ for sprinkling with His blood the blood of the covenant. Which is exactly what happened in Exodus 24. The people said all of the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. We'll be obedient. Moses takes the blood from the basin of those oxen that have been sacrificed and he sprinkles the people with it. What's going on? What's happening here? What's he talking about? The people pledge obedience to God. The blood of the sacrificed animals is sprinkled on the people. When that happens, it seals the covenant. And it symbolizes that life has been restored to them by means of shed blood. So, what does this phrase, how does it tie in, what's going on here? The goal of the Father's initiative and the Spirit's work, the goal of the Father's initiative and the goal of the Spirit's work is placing individuals into a covenant relationship with God and enabling them to fulfill their covenant obligation of obedience by His work of sanctification in order to reflect His glory, which was the primary purpose of creation in the first place. God is restoring what Adam lost in the garden. Through the covenant, by obedience, and through the shed blood, and the sprinkling of the blood of the covenant, we find ourselves now in a covenant relationship with God. A covenant relationship with God. And that covenant relationship, in that covenant relationship, God has not only told us in the new covenant what we're to do, gives us the strength to do it by the Spirit who has set us apart and by the Spirit who, who through His hag, hag, hagiasmo, He has set us apart, but also He is working in our lives to transform our character. We've been set apart for the purpose of God. He's transforming our character by a God who's initiated according to his foreknowledge to choose us so that we might find ourselves in a covenant relationship with him. I mean, that's enough to chew on for a long, long time. So, who are we based upon verses? Who are you? Who am I based upon verses one and two of First Peter? This is who we are. We are chosen by God, and we are foreigners Of the diaspora. In other words, the Father initiates and the Spirit enables those who have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus the Son to enter into an intimate, permanent covenant relationship with the triune God that transforms who we are and how we live so that we might engage the culture and seek its welfare without assimilation or withdrawal. That's a lot packed in two verses. That's a lot packed in two verses. I know you can read it, but I know it's small. Let me say it one more time. The Father initiates and the Spirit enables those who have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus the Son enter into an intimate, permanent, covenant relationship with the triune God that transforms who we are and how we live so that we might engage the culture, seek its welfare without assimilation or withdrawal. I don't have to be one bit afraid of what's going on in my culture. Not one. I don't have to find a hole and dig, it, dig, dig, dig me a hole and climb into it and cover it up and hope everything passes over. I don't. I don't. I recognize that I live in a culture that rejects what I believe. I live in a culture that rejects the most important person in my life. I live in a culture that, that, that does not acknowledge God for who He is. I I recognize that. But I'm not to sit there and wag my finger at this nasty old culture and say, you know what, y'all just go ahead and go to hell and I'm going to wait for Jesus to come back and, you know, nanny nanny boo boo when the rapture takes place. Nor does it mean that I say, you know what, these dear people need Christ, so how, how, how can I be cool? How can I jump in and be just like them? So let's you know, let's form strippers for Jesus, you know, or you know, let let us have you know, uh, uh, you know, all this different kind of stuff out there, you know, let's have let's have a, a Marty Carlo night for Jesus. Bring them all in, you know, and show them that, that you can you can you can have fun and still know Christ. But being a Christian doesn't make you a killjoy. Don't do that. Don't do that either. Don't go either of those directions. I don't have to be afraid. I am a foreigner in this culture. But I'm part of the, the diaspora. And remember, we went back to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, go, live, seek the welfare of the place where you live. Pray for the place where you live. Get married, raise children, serve the Lord. And that's what we're called to do. We, we, don't, dig, we, we, don't, we don't live our lives in fear. We, we don't dig a hole and cover ourselves up and separate ourselves from everybody because we don't want to be around those nasty old people because somehow they might contaminate us. Nor do we want to become like them to where there's, there's no difference between us and the unbeliever. We, we have no testimony then. But what we want to do, though, is engage them in a winsome way. Engage them in a loving way. Engage them so that we can share with them the uh, 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 the one that they're rejecting of how much He loves them and cares for them. But what gives us the encouragement to do so when we get discouraged? When we look and we see what's happening and and we we wonder, we're concerned about what this culture is going to look like when our children are grown or our grandchildren are grown or our great-grandchildren are grown we also recognize the fact that we've been chosen by God. Not because of anything that we've done or haven't done, but because He has initiated that. And in that initiation, He did so by the Spirit of God, by means of the Spirit, to set us apart. But not just to set us apart so we can get our fire insurance so that now we know we're going to heaven and now everything's fine and dandy but not only does He consecrate us, but He sanctifies us. He transforms and changes our character and, and changes who we are and changes how we live. And because we, we have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ, because we put our faith and trust in who Christ is, we've been brought into a permanent covenant relationship, an intimate relationship because He's our Father. And it's a, it's a lasting covenant. It's a covenant that cannot be broken. And even when we are faithless, He is faithful. And He he brings us into this covenant relationship. And and that covenant relationship is is towards obedience. Our fulfillment, our obligation in that covenant is to walk in obedience to Christ. But we do so by the power of the Spirit who has set us apart and who is sanctifying us. And we learn and we grow and we engage And we can live in our culture with confidence and without fear, because we live out our identity. We live out of our identity, who we are. It's just like we don't live. We don't live a life of obedience. I, I don't want to live my life seeking to gain God's acceptance. I want to live my life out of the fact that God's already accepted. There's a huge difference between the two. I live my life not trying to gain God's acceptance. I live my life realizing I've already been accepted by God through Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I want want to show the gratitude towards God in my life by my life looking like His sons. This is who we are. We need not to experience identity confusion. We are rejected by the culture, but chosen by the triune God. We're alienated, separated, and shunned by society, but brought into an intimate and transforming relationship with God that enables us not only to change, not only to grow not only to experience the joy of knowing Christ, but it also enables us to engage the very society that rejects us just like our Savior did. The same thing. This is who we are. This is who we are. And when we learn it, and we embrace it, and when we live it, we will not be be emotional roller coasters as we listen to or read or watch the news and see just how much our culture, how quickly our culture is digressing and regressing over and over and over and over and over don't have to does it sadden my heart? it sure does do I wish it was different? I sure do but you know what? I shouldn't be surprised by it they're lost (laughs) how should lost people be acting? they're lost I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to take it personally. I shouldn't take it personally. This is who I... In my my relationship with the culture, I'm I'm an exile. I'm an exile of the dispersion. But I can engage my culture without fear. I can engage my culture with confidence, I can engage my culture being aware that I don't want to become like it nor do I want to separate myself from it. I can engage it because of my identity and the trying in God chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father by the setting apart of the Spirit for obedience sprinkling of the blood for a covenant relationship with him wow wow that's amazing to me but that's who we are that's who we are and may God help us to live it out and if you don't know Christ as your Savior it begins there it begins there without Christ you have no hope without Christ you don't have this relationship your job is not to worry about whether or not you've been chosen your responsibility is to say do I need Jesus the scripture says Jesus said those who come to me I will in no wise cast out want to know if you're chosen come to Christ that's it you got to figure it out (laughs) Come to Christ. Come to Christ. I can say without any reservation, without any hesitation, Christ died for your sins. Come to Jesus and find forgiveness and acceptance by the Father, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how it instructs us. Thank You for the identity that is ours. Thank You, Father, that You're truthful. And and being a believer doesn't insulate us. It doesn't protect us from all the brokenness of this world. But it does enable us to engage it. To engage it. In the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our disappointment we can engage it and share with others the wonder of who you are. So encourage us today, Father. Help us to live differently as believers in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to you and to the Gospel. Father, we pray that that would change, and we know that it can, and we know there's times in our history when that's been the case. Father, we don't want to be gloom and doom people, and we don't want to look at ourselves as victims, because we're not victims. We don't want to um, see all of culture as being horribly unredeemable and that there's nothing to enjoy. But Father, we are grateful that we can live a life that is not guided by the culture. So Father, help us to do that. And help us, Father, to meditate this week on our identity with you and just praise you for it as we think about the reason and the means and the goal of being chosen by you Lord we thank you that these texts are given to us not so that we can split hairs and decide who's in and who's out they're given to us to encourage us so that we will engage our world with confidence as we share with them creation, fall, regeneration, and restoration. We ask now your blessings upon each one here today. We pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we want to give you an opportunity to speak with the Lord. Whatever your need is today, don't know what that is, but the Lord does, and trust and pray that the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. Maybe it's encouragement today. Maybe, maybe, you just, maybe it's been a while since you thought about this, and you just need to praise God. And get reoriented. It's easy when you listen to everything that's going on in our world to become disoriented, to get off balance a little bit. That's why it's always good just to turn the news off for a while sometimes and get, get into God's Word and just get rebalanced, rebalanced. Maybe you don't know Christ. If you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you today to cry out to Him. He's done for you what nobody else can Whatever your need is, we want to give you a time to speak to the Lord and to pour your heart out to Him. And then we'll continue our worship and close out our time together. Let's go to the Lord.